Welcome back to 1874, the podcast that brings you the definitive word on Aston Villa Football Club every single week. Now, something a bit different coming up on this week's episode. You may have seen Greg's written piece on Steve Hollis's time at Aston Villa pretty much as a as a firefighter, really. But it's great that we've managed to get a podcast in with him as well, isn't it, Greg? Yeah, fantastic. Really, really good to catch up with Steve Hollis, somebody who was uh, at, at the club at Villa at the time when it was such a disappointing, such a dreadful season, that 2015-16 season when Villa were relegated. But Steve Hollis was was hired uh, by Randy Lerner, the old owner, to clear up the club and, and just make it more of a, a saleable asset. Um, and then obviously Tony Shaw came in and, and bought the club a little bit later after he had some very tough decisions to make, but at a time when the club was lacking leadership, I think the, the general opinion of Steve Hollis was that he came in and and he did a pretty solid job. I remember thinking that it was his transparency that was very impressive for me. I thought that he sort of got his message across to everybody and just admitted that he wasn't really this football man, but he was coming in to do to do a specific job. Um, great to catch up with him and, and, and listen to some of his stories from from those six months. Yeah, he was only there for a short space of time in 2016, but as ever with Aston Villa Football Club, there was plenty going on in that short time. So let's crack on with it. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the 1874 podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. It was 2016 when you came on board at Villa and obviously appalling difficult times at the club and difficult times in the world at the moment. How have you been coping? Well, perhaps I shouldn't admit to this, but I'm actually quite enjoying lockdown. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm someone who normally, I'm travelling a lot. I would have been in the States at least a couple of times during lockdown and I've managed perfectly well from home. I think it's going to change the way that we live our lives or some of us uh, when we come out of this. <laughs> yeah, I've got to admit I'm enjoying podcasting from home myself what is it you're doing at the moment just for Villa fans that, that, that wouldn't know obviously since you've left Villa what have you been up to uh, what have I been up to I chair a number of businesses um, in the States and the UK uh, none of them are sporting businesses uh, they're in kind of boring areas like financial services and property um, and I do a few pro bono things for some of the universities uh, nice. and I chair a HS2 so if you're into fast trains I chair one of their boards for them Loose, loose Villa link there with, with HS2, obviously going ah, across yes, the Villa point. training ground as well. Good yeah. point. <laughs> Just remind our listeners, Steve, how you got involved with Aston Villa. Was it Randy Lerner who contacted you and what did he ask you to do at the start? I was in the States and I got this call from uh, a mutual friend who had just been to see Randy and Randy had um, shared with him that he was looking for a chairman. And my friend stupidly said, oh, I've just got the chap for you. And I got a call uh, <laughs> from Randy and Randy said look you know I'd really appreciate it if we could have a chat if you would like to consider being the chairman uh, and I actually said to Randy over the phone I said well it's, it's you know really sweet of you to think of somebody like me but actually I don't think I'm the right person I'm not a football person I, I've never run a, uh, a sporting company of any kind you, you need someone who understands football you know who's got football networks football experience and we put the phone down basically you know it's a nice conversation um, and put the foot down. Uh, but anyway, then Randy was obviously very desperate, and I got another, got a call a couple of days later, saying, "Look, I've reflected on what you you said," uh, and he actually said to me, "It was something like, you're actually the exact kind of person I want. I don't want a football person. I, and he used these words: I don't want someone who's caught up in the drug of football. I want someone <laughs> who can be objective and clear thinking in what needs to be done." Uh, and he said, look, if you won't do it, will you at least spend some time with me to help me? I need help. So 
I was coming back to the UK and he, he was up in New York, so we met up in New York. I didn't actually accept there and then either. Uh, I went to, I can remember going to the Boxing Day match against West Ham. So I'd never take on a, a, any position as chair or on a board without at least, you know, experiencing what it's like and what have you. Uh, went sure. to the, the West Ham game on a Boxing Day, which is the first time I've ever been to a football match on a Boxing Day. And further chats with Randy and the rest is history, I guess. Uh, and I agreed to do it. And this, this might sound a bit grand, but one of the reasons I did it was actually because of Randy Lerner himself. Um, okay. I know there's lots of views on Randy, but actually in the flesh, he is an extremely caring individual with a huge civic heart. And he just wanted the best for Aston Villa. Uh, and I was on a board at the time that was all to do with the regeneration of Birmingham. And the, the one thing that Birmingham did not have was a Premier League football club, you know, of, of standing. And if you want a successful city, you need a successful Premier League football club. You know, places like Manchester are great examples where of the course, city yeah. of Manchester is actually, what is it, number six in the UK as a city. But if you ask anyone overseas, they would think it's the second biggest city outside London. Yeah. So anyway, it's a bit of a ramble on my part, but you know, no, no. that's how it all came to be. Yeah, I think that West Ham game was actually one of the rare games I, I remember moderately enjoying that season. <laughs> Looking back, I think it was 1-1, wasn't it? Because obviously the club was in a terrible position on the field and we were staring at the abyss heading into the championship. Just how bad was it behind the scenes, Steve? It wasn't good. And uh, again, I put my businessman hat on on this. Yeah. My view is it, it doesn't matter what kind of business it is. Uh, you've got to have... a, a company that can pay its bills and under Randy's ownership you know it's no secret it, it never made a profit it, it ran at a loss all the time and that brings with it a certain culture you know it's more of a, a patriarchal type culture which works if the patron is heavily involved in the in the club but it was you know quite clear Randy had had his time with it he thoroughly enjoyed it and if you're a rich man blimey, you can do what you like um, but if you're trying to then move the asset on so that it develops the kind of culture that you want that is built around success you know you've got to at least have you know financial security and it certainly didn't have that when i moved in was it a case of the club was never going to be sold in the state that it was in and that it, it just needed sort of this this root and branch review from someone like yourself who is obviously an expert in sorting out companies in need of help correct yeah and that's the, the first thing that we set about doing was actually getting the cost base under control. And I'm going, I'm sorry, this is all tedious kind of business stuff, but it's my bread and butter. Um, <laughs> you know, and there's difficult decisions that you need to make. Uh, there are people that unfortunately had to be released from the club at all levels just to get it into a position where it would be attractive either as an ongoing proposition if it couldn't be sold because it would have financial stability or as a proposition for somebody to buy into. Are there any other situations in your, in your career, in, in your life, that you, you can compare to and look, look back on that were, were similar to how Villa were at that time, or was it just completely unique, a unique situation for yourself? It was actually pretty unique, because the, the businesses I'm typically involved with, um, at times like this, where there's a, a, a deep recession, you have to take action as a result of a change in the circumstances. Um, yeah. be it a recession, a depression, a financial crash or whatever. The thing about the, the villa, um, it was a club that, despite you know, strong economic trading conditions in the country as a whole, so there wasn't a recession or anything, 
it was it was just in a you know not not the right financial shape. Part of your brief, as you've mentioned, was to streamline the workforce, which sounds really really brutal to me. Sounds like a tough job. Does that ever get any easier doing doing stuff like that in your line of work? Um, blimey, I don't want to come across as um, kind of hard nosed <laughs> on all of this, but yeah, it's 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 not a case that I'm afraid. You know, you've just got to accept that if you have to right size a business and there are too many people, unfortunately. That's what you have to do. And I can remember at the villa, um, we ran a very large redundancy programme, which, you know, is all very sad and what have you. And I stood in front of, it must have been 500, 600 of the employees at the Holt end. Uh, and I just explained the, the facts, you know, that this is why we're having to do this. No one wants to do these things. And to their absolute credit, and this is something that is different about a football club, um, I actually had... You know, people from stewards, you know, people who worked in the offices or what have you, coming up to me afterwards saying, look, we fully understand why you have to do this. You know, nobody likes it, but, you know, you've got our support. Um, and there were some people who came up to me and said, look, Steve, I know that, you know, you're going to have to release a number of people and it might be me, but I'll come back and I'll do this for nothing. I love this place so much. You know, you, think, you know I'm not prone to uh, getting a tear in the eye, but it really is. You know, it's quite <laughs> touching. You know, the yeah, passion the that people have for the place. Yeah, I remember what stood out for me, Steve, from your time was just your transparency. I remember you coming into the club, almost admitting that you wasn't sort of naturally a football person, but you showed really strong leadership at a time when it was lacking. And I remember you open, you, you wrote the open letter to supporters after relegation, which, believe it or not, <laughs> went down quite well, despite actually wow. the fact that the club had just been relegated um i think it was just because they hadn't heard anything or or very little off, off randy previously but is it is it still just a bit different to do the job that you do at a football club because of how much affection and loyalty is attached to to clubs oh blimey yeah and actually just just i'll give you a, an example um i can remember uh, when i accepted the appointments uh, they wanted to do a meet the meet the chairman session for the fans. And I don't know if you remember this. So I did this session, I turned up in my suit and all the rest of it, and I was completely out of place. Um, and they said, well, what do you think, Steve? What's your initial impressions? And I, I said, well, look, you know, for all the companies I've been involved with, if I look at the customer experience you guys have had over the last three years, you know, it's just, just not acceptable. And I used the word customer. And there was such an uproar in the room saying, we're not customers, we're fans. Then the, the Five Live got hold of it and my phone didn't stop ringing, so I didn't bother answering it. So, you know, this, you know, ignorant what's it as, you know, called fans customers. Fortunately, I think it was Liverpool or somebody said the same. They said, yeah, our customers were going to raise our prices. So the... The, the heat quickly defected away from me <laughs> onto one of the other onto the other clubs, but that just demonstrated to me why it's two businesses. You've got to run the business. You've got a side of the business that you've got to run, and that generates the money, and that money is then used to invest in the team. Uh, and that's why actually, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point. That's why after that experience, I said to Randy, look. I am not a football person. I want someone who can speak for the club on football. Uh, and that's when I approached Brian Little. And it's one of my more inspired appointments, actually, because Brian took all that heat away from me. I didn't have to be a football person then. You know, I, what we had was the confidence of a city, of, of a, you know, one, one of the legends from Villa. 
actually doing that role. Yeah, because it was a, obviously I'm a supporter. It was a horrible time, and I, re, I remember that incident with you using the word customers. And I just think at that time everything was just so heightened, just because of how badly the club was doing on the pitch. We all knew we were resigned to, to, to relegation. You, you talk about bringing Brian in. I actually like that because I, I don't think you always need someone on the football side. I think it's good to have a bit of both. Do, do you? You obviously think the same, having made the appointment. Oh God, yeah. And actually, what we would do again, just trying to keep the relationship with with fans and key stakeholders before each game, uh, home game, we would have a small session, a short session with me and I got Brian in. And it was an opportunity for fans just to ask me any question they like and what have you. And most of the questions they asked were about the football side. So actually they became really easy meetings for me because I didn't have to say much <laughs> other than you know <laughs> what we're doing. You know, we might be looking at you know, whatever on the business side. And it was all down to Brian. So sure. it, and that just proved the point that you can't run these kind of businesses unless you've got that kind of breadth on your, on your board. Definitely. I, I think we, you know, we all agree that that was a masterstroke, bringing yeah, Brian sure. Little in. The, fan, the, fans, the fans love to see him back with everything that he's done for the club. Um, Steve, let's go through some of the key moments just in chronological order. And you, you obviously mentioned Brian. At, at the same time, I think David Bernstein came in, didn't he? And then, yep. and then Mervyn King a little bit later. Yep. Um, were they all your decisions or, or, or Randy's? or how, how did it work? Uh, no, they were... Obviously, you know, if Ran, Randy was uh, the, the key stakeholder because he, he is the owner. Yes. So as chairman, you've got... Um, I was very clear that I had to be my own man. I wasn't going to be a kind of lapdog, I think was the word I used in the press, to uh, the owner. But you, you're not doing your job unless you consult um, on key decisions with the owner. So uh, between us, we would come up with suggestions as to who we could put onto the board. Uh, and those were two that at the time were well received when they were appointed. Yeah, and Tom Fox and Henrik Armstead then left as yeah. well. Did, did they leave on, on, on good terms with you or was it a difficult part of the ways? Um, can I tell you, in their own way, they are really talented individuals and I had a huge amount of respect for them. Uh, and I made that absolutely clear. You know, this wasn't because they, they weren't good people. They were actually excellent people. But unfortunately, for what we, were, what we had to do with the club, they weren't the right people at that time, which yeah. is just unfortunate. So... I'm not sure that sure. answers the question, but that's as much as I'm no, going no. to say. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and obviously, Remy Gard moved on after that. Eric Black came in, the caretaker yeah. manager. He, he had a tough old time, didn't he? Did, did you have a bit of sympathy for him? Yeah, I did, actually. And, <clears throat> and actually, Eric, I had a, a good relationship with him. You know, it's one of those situations. It's a great opportunity for Eric. But boy, did he have not many cards stacked up in his favour. So <laughs> you just had yeah. to work, the, you know, do the best that you could. Because yeah, as a fan at that point, I was as a supporter, I wanted to see maybe a club legend come back in at that point and just try and lift the gloom from the club a little bit. Was, was that something that was ever considered or was it just always going to be Eric Black to just have some kind of continuity with the players? Um, we needed the continuity. and we, What we also needed was not to jump out of one fire into another. Uh, yeah. And at the time of um, we were making those decisions... Uh, Randy agreed that it was a good time to have a good go at trying to move the club into new new ownership. And the thing that was clear to me is that if you're going to have a new owner, the one thing the new owner will want to do is appoint their person 
to be the manager. They won't want yeah. to inherit somebody. And as it was clear that we were going to get relegated, um, we had a contingency plan in place. We didn't sell it. We were, going to, we were going to appoint our own manager if we couldn't sell. But until we got to that point, we ran it as lean and mean as we could so that anyone coming in could make their own decisions, put their own arms around it and do what they thought was best for the, for the club. Would that manager have been Nigel Pearson, Steve? Remember, he was obviously heavily linked at the time. Yes. And I've got a huge amount of respect for Nigel. In fact, and this is where I'll break the habits of a lifetime and say I'm not a football person, but I think Nigel Pearson would have been at that time the ideal appointment. And I spent quite a bit of time with him. I went to the States with him to uh, sit down, you know, with Randy with him. And we spent quite a bit of time together. So we got to know each other really well. And I just think he's just a great human being who has got his feet on the ground. And he's at Watford now, isn't he? He's Yeah, doing yeah. well. And, and rejuvenating them, doing yeah. really well for Because I, I, was, I was watching, I was, been, I was in the States when he took on the Watford job and I was seeing some of the headlines. And I'm just so pleased for him that, um, you know, he's, he's found that kind of role because I, I just think he is quite a talent, that guy. Just going back to the, the sort of running order of what happened when when you were there, um, when David and, and Mervyn left, did, was that always planned on relegation and, and did it make, or did it make your job even harder at that point? Well, it wasn't one of my finest moments, I've got to say. Uh, I think in, a, in any board, the one thing I've always done as chairman is that if the dynamics of the board isn't working and there's a bus stop, you've just got to deal with it. Mervyn and David at the time were great appointments to the board. Uh, it actually showed the confidence that two kind of um, statesmen in their different ways had and wanted to commit their time to the club. And, you know, Mervyn's a kind of lifelong fan. And actually, the more I got to know Mervyn, he, he actually understands much more about football than I ever do. Um, but, you know, for reasons that um, I'm not going into too much detail about, the board didn't work. Uh, with them on it and at their decision they they uh, declined any further involvement and resigned from the board again not my finest moment and I think you've got to accept well certainly I accept in business that everything isn't going to go smoothly all of the time and certainly in my little career with Villa that was one of them yeah turbulent times obviously all over at Villa Park and I think there were six prospective owners considering buying the club at that time or prospective owners I should say. Did, did anyone else get close before he was eventually moved on to Dr. Toner? Um, I'll share a bit more with you, actually, on that. Because what we did, and I'm not going to name the other names, but I'll, I'll tell you where sure. the final bidding got to. It was quite obvious uh, there wasn't a high net wealth individual in the UK who wanted to take on a Premier League football club or a Championship football club. And the bidding came down to a number of Chinese bidders and a number of American bidders. And the American bidders were looking at football clubs in the UK on the basis that if there was a wages cap that was introduced, the same would happen as happened with the NFL, that the revenues continue to go up, you cap your costs and you make a fortune, which is what's happened in the NFL. And there were a number of NFL owners who um, were expressing interest and a couple of them you know, got fairly close um, and then at the time, the Chinese market, uh, President Xi um, came out with announcements that he wanted China to compete in the World Cup within the next I don't know, 20 years or something. 
And if you're a wealthy person in China, the way that you impressed your president was to go out and buy a football club. So there were the two competing interests. And, okay. you know, as you know, it ended up in Chinese hands. Um, but that was the background to the way that I actually ran the process to, to find, a, find the next owner. Our understanding was that Randy was desperate to also pass it on to to pass the club on to the right person as well. Now, regardless of what happened after during uh, Tony Shah's reign, did you feel at the time that he was the right man? Uh, yeah, definitely. Because um, Randy always had a very strong kind of civic responsibility. And the one thing that um, Tony came across with was, you know, those credentials that it wasn't just about buying a football club it was about buying a very very important asset in a community um, and that was you know that was pretty key in in the final decision actually if you want a fun want a little funny story um, yeah definitely this is how these <laughs> we love funny stories <laughs> how these things work out i can remember when i was running the sales process we got down to a final three and they came to do site visits and i can remember part of the site visit we would take uh, the prospective new owner on a tour of Villa Park and we'd take them into the changing rooms, rooms and <clears throat> we would line up the shirts for the players and then they would see their names on some of the shirts and so the number nine shirt or number 10 shirt or what have you and you know when you've got someone who is really interested because in each case the little boy came out and their knees wobbled <laughs> And they would, they forgot everything. They forgot about money. They forgot everything. All they wanted was their photograph with this shirt <laughs> in the background. And, you know, it, it is the little boy coming out in the, in the man, as it were. But I just thought <laughs> that's when you know you've got someone who really is, you know, passionate about this and they want to, you know, get stuck into it. Yeah, I mean, I've been there myself in the change rooms on the on, on the tour, and I, I know what that feels like. And I spent a little bit of time with with Doctor Tony myself, and I haven't really got anything bad to say about him. But were you surprised at how everything unravelled at the end of of Doctor Tony's ownership in terms of like not being able to pay tax bills and things like that? Was that a surprise to you? Um, I'm not sure it was a. It wasn't a surprise or anything. I'm afraid it's just one of those things that um, all you can do when you are selling a business is look at the quality of the the covenant as i would say on the person yeah. buying it and you know it passed the premier league test we did our own due diligence on you know tony and it it all passed at yeah. the time what happens afterwards well it's, it's none of my business frankly it's almost like you've you've pat you've passed the the remit that, that you were given it's passed the the relevant test that, that, that you say as well there's almost nothing you can you can do about it your, your time's done isn't it exactly yeah i remember one of your quote steve was was never waste a good crisis i, I, I think you, <laughs> i remember you must i presume you 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 must have looked back um when another crisis was unfolding a couple of years later and thinking well maybe they did we waste did we waste that good did we waste that crisis or not did you have any thoughts of that i mean i, I was thinking of you at that point um all, all I, I was i was just sad actually um i didn't want any further involvement um at, at that stage I was just sad that it worked out that way, you know, because, you know, it, it's a bit like running a casino, a Premier League football club. And the reality is, if the, the club had um, been promoted sooner and all the rest of it, it would have been a different story. You know? yeah. And that's yeah. what's what happens when you're running a casino. You know, it's is it black or is it, you know, is it red? If you get the wrong <laughs> colour, you don't you come away with nothing. 
Yeah, it's very much what it felt like. Executive chairman of Aston Villa, though, it's one hell of a job, certainly to have on your CV and certainly to look back on. I mean, just what parts of it were most enjoyable for you? And could you even enjoy it at that point? I'll tell you, the the bit I really struggled with, I've never uh, run a business before where you can't have any influence on bits that are not working properly. So... And I think it was one of the um, chief execs from a, I think it was the chief exec of Man City or someone said to me, when the team cross that white line, you lose all control of everything. It's then down to the team and the players. And that's the bit that I found most difficult, if I'm honest, because the team wasn't doing really. And I wanted to go into the changing rooms and I wanted to give them pep talks and all the rest of it. And I can remember saying to Randy, you know, why, why shouldn't I do this? He said, look, understand uh, there's the football and not the football you're not a football person you know that is not your job and he was absolutely spot on it was not my job but I just felt helpless in many ways that I couldn't have done more to really inspire lead you know do the kind of stuff that I was doing with the rest of the club but actually do it for the football side you know but that's that's the nature of the beast I'm afraid yeah I really like that from you Steve because I'm I'm of that mindset I I agree I I don't think the chairman should be should be in the dressing room. I think there's a time and a place for things like that myself. On the actual match day experience side, is there anything that, that you really enjoy? Because you've said yourself you weren't really really a football man, so I'm imagining you hadn't been to too many football matches prior. Was there anything about the match day experience that, that surprised you or that you really, really enjoyed? I really enjoyed the people. Because I think one of the, the things that Aston Villa were really good at was creating the, the match day experience off the pitch. And just meeting the fans and supporters, some of who paid lots of money for some of the hospitality and the suites, despite then coming to watch, you know, unfortunately a team not playing particularly well. You know, for that kind of commitment, that is saying something about people who are giving their hard-earned cash to come and spend a Saturday afternoon or whatever doing that. And I, the, the people were amazing, frankly, you know, and really supportive for me. Um, which I appreciated, you know, because it's pretty bloody lonely, frankly, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Uh, (laughs) And it just helps. Did you have um, a sudden influx of calls off friends who, maybe people that you haven't spoken to for a while, asking for tickets and things like that? Oh, there's all of that. I know that kind of thing happens. (laughs) There's all of that, but I've got a good um, security system that quickly gets rid of those. So that's... uh, (laughs) 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 Yeah. Uh, what about the players, Steve? Did you ever have much interaction with them? Was there anybody that you particularly liked during that period or that you maybe thought, you know, that you got on well with? I know it was only a short time. Well, again, I was guided by Randy because Randy had a, an office at um, Bodymore Heath, uh, the chairman's office or whatever, which I sometimes parked myself in just to get a feel for what was going on. And what I did deliberately before we were making any big changes, before they, anything got released to the press, um, I would have a, a forum with the staff at um, Villa Park, and then I'd go to Bodymore Heath and do exactly the same after training finished for the players. Um, and uh, again, they, they were good guys, you know, and I think what they appreciated was, I wasn't trying to tell them, you know, this is what you need to do on the pitch. All I was saying is, look, this is your club, this is what we're having to do, and this is what's going to be announced. And I think just that relationship where they feel that they are a part of it, um, it just helps, even though it was really, really difficult times. 
Um, and we're asking everybody who comes on our pod um, just what their thoughts are on the current situation. I mean, presumably you still you do still follow football, and yeah. what do you think of the whole project restart and and, and the whole situation around the football at the moment? I'm a bit torn actually because uh, I actually think as a country we need some normality and we do need um, Premier League football and the lower leagues and what have you. We need it just for the kind of keep our sanity, frankly, if nothing else. The bit that I'm a bit torn on, if I'm honest, is the football experience without the fans. I'm not sure what that's going to be like. It's going to be a bit of a hollow experience, I suspect. Um, But perhaps that's the journey that we need to go on, that we, we have to put up with the hollow experience and then hopefully we can get back into something normality, something like normality within the next few months or so. Yeah, with your with your business hat on also, Steve, is, is, are the concerns of maybe for some of the lower league clubs that, that might really struggle during this crisis? Oh, huge, huge. Because actually, <clears throat> you know, well, you'll know the, the business model for a Premier League football club isn't particularly reliant on stadiums being full. Whereas you only have to drop down below the championship, and I think that's their main source of revenue. And, mm. you know, if you think about the importance of football, the number of people that it employs, uh, the number of people that follow it, uh, it's an absolutely critical part of society. And if we lose that, it's going to have a huge impact on society, you know, never mind about football. So I think we've really got to look at ways in which we can keep you know, the football business um, at least ticking over. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I don't know about you, Dan, but I think it's been so refreshing to have Steve on and listening to you, Steve, speaking so honestly and openly about your time at Villa and, and everything else. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a great listen. Thank you ever so much for coming on. Is, is there any more you want to ask, Dan? No, I was going to say it's just good to know about your security system because I, I was going to hit you with some train tickets, but I won't bother <laughs> about your, uh, your security. Dan, I can do, I can do a special price just for you. Okay. How's that? No, that's great. That'd be great, Steve. Thanks ever so much for coming on our podcast. No. I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been a- great. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. You take care, guys.